Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our scripture passage from today comes from Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Listen for what God is saying to us. So then, with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame, for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him, and sat down at the right side of God's throne. Think about the one who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't be discouraged and you won't give up. In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding blood. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. Good morning again. Um, if you uh, were a little bit of a latecomer, that's all right. But uh, just so you know, my name is Emily, and I am uh, the pastor here at Urban Village Church Hyde Park Woodlawn, and I serve in ministry alongside many of the folks that you have already seen up front here, including Lawrence, who I misnamed earlier, um, so I apologize on that. But uh, I'm grateful to worship with you this morning. Um, let's prepare our hearts and minds uh, with a word of prayer. God, we are grateful to come together on this day, um, this day in particular where we recall and we are particularly mindful of the ways that your saints surround us, strengthen us, and challenge us to live more fully into the lives and the work that you have called us toward. And so as we um, center ourselves in your word in this moment, I ask God that you would clear away those things that clutter our hearts and our minds that keep us from really hearing you um, and ask that your spirit would Speak to us, um, to, to challenge us, to love us, to comfort us, and to discomfort us for the sake of you and your work in this world. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter um, that uh, Genesis read from earlier today, he was writing to a community that was struggling. They were overcome with uh, the fear of how Christians were being killed, uh, being targeted um, by government authorities and law enforcement um, with regularity. Their fear then also began to choke their sense of identity and purpose. And so at the top of this passage, we heard Paul say, with endurance, with endurance, let us also run the race. Now, most of us kind of get this illustration, right? A race is something where you push yourself to your physical ends in order to finish or better yet, win. Um, but it's worth pausing here for a minute to understand that this word that gets translated as race that Paul uses um, is agon, which means contest. Um, it is also where the word agony finds its root. There is pain in the race. Activities like running, jumping, wrestling, and boxing also fell under the category of agon, and for Christians, too, so did martyrdom. Capital punishment by state execution or for the entertainment of others, not unlike the public lynchings that are part of our history, was an imminent possibility. For a believer, this was a real possibility, and it was terrifying. 
And so Paul writes to them to encourage them and focus them. He tells them, you are not alone in this. There are others who have been committed to this path, others who have suffered, who have walked the stony road, and these people walk with you now. They hold you up when you can't stand on your own. They whisper truth and strength into your spirit when you feel like you have nothing left to give. These people, this cloud of witnesses, witness to their faith, witnesses to your faith, and point you to the faith of Jesus. Jesus, who is the author and completer of our faith, the one who shows us how to finish that race. Now, Jesus, who shows us what it looks like to endure it to the end with discipline, with love, with compassion and persistence. This is our legacy, he's saying. This is your legacy. And all of this feels good and right and important, but what does it mean exactly? And what does it look like, really? Well, a few days ago, I, had, um, I saw that Lena had posted this series of images, um, screenshots of an interview that Mr. T had with David Letterman, the original host of The Late Show. And I was so intrigued by it that I wanted to learn more. So I did some Googling, right? And I looked at the interview, and I was struck by how incredibly different the energy was between the two. Back, and I want to talk about your, uh, your name, first of all. Is that your real name? Well, if Pope John Paul II was to come here, would you ask him what his real name was? Well, uh... <laughs> but it, you have to admit, it's an interesting name, Mr. T. Right, well, I changed it because I wasn't given respect before. You know, people have a tendency to always constantly call a man boy. For what reason, I don't know why, you know. So I changed mm -hmm. my name to Mr. T, so the first word out of everybody's mouth would be Mr. The sign of respect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, do you, do you have a first name? Or... First name is Mr. My middle name is that period. My last name is the T. <laughs> Can, can I ask you about your, since you mentioned your hairstyle and, and your jewelry and so forth? Right, right, I'm glad you brought that up. The hairstyle is, <laughs> the hairstyle is not punk rock, it's not Mohegan Indians, because a lot of people relate it to the Mohegan because that's all they know. As a tribe in Africa that calls themselves the Mandinka Warriors, they wear their hair in this fashion. They wear feathered earrings, they wear diamond gold, they wear the finest they ears, and I'm proud to be a descendant of mm -hmm. the people. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why I wear this. And the changes in gold is symbolic of my struggle because my ancestors, we was brought over here, we were shackled by our wrists and our necks and ankles. Mm -hmm. But now I turn those shackles into gold, and that offends people. People ask me, say, do that gold get heavy? Nobody asks my ancestors, do those changes get heavy mm -hmm. on their neck? Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. But it bothers them because they know the gold is valuable. But that's the reason why I wear the gold and the earrings and diamonds. It's an interesting that. story that a, a man uh, working as a bodyguard and a security specialist in uh, bars in Chicago uh, gets to be actually you pretty well steal the movie uh, how do you make that jump from whatever you do there and talking people out of causing trouble to being in a major motion picture so David Letterman is trying to keep the banter light right to be the comedic host but Mr. T it's clear he came with a message right and you can tell that it was almost uncontainable for him he's speaking with fire in his bones. And it's burning so hot, it almost feels like you can get singed if you got too close, right? And Letterman, for his part, is a comedy expert host, right? Or an expert comedy host, right? Giving Mr. T his time, but then steering the conversation back to the lightness and levity and promoting Rocky III. And I was struck by this dynamic because comedy show notwithstanding, what we see here playing out between Mr. T and David Letterman is an age-old pattern of engagement that perfectly captures our nation's history when it comes to conversations about institutional racism, 
intergenerational trauma, and the purpose of reparations. It is unbearably, almost painful to see the ways that Letterman glosses over or dismisses the pain of what Mr. T is, is every word that's coming out of his mouth, right? When he talks about changing his first name to Mr., his middle name to the period, and his last name to, as T, he's also talking about why he made that decision, right? That his father and his grandfather were so disrespected and infantilized as grown men. When he talks about his infamous or famous mohawk and styling, he refers with pride to the Mandinka warriors. When he explains why he wears gold chains, he talks about transforming the shackles and chains of his ancestors who survived treacherous voyages and generations of trauma into a sign of gold and value, right? And I reflect, as I reflected on our sermon series and our passage, and I saw this interview between Mr. T um, and David Letterman, I thought, now here is a perfect illustration of how trauma shows up in our collective psyche. One person, Mr. T, has done some deep soul work, right? And it drives his very being. He is ready and presenting multiple inv invitations for a deeper conversation, a very painful conversation. But the other person, Letterman, is doing everything he can to avoid it, right? Now, perhaps to be fair, this is an 80s late-night comedy television show, right? And so one could argue that it's not just the right, it's just not the right format for this kind of discussion. Save it for Sally, Jesse, Raphael, right? <laughs> Only the 80s babies knows what I'm talking about. Now, I might be inclined to agree if it wasn't for the fact that Stephen Colbert, Letterman's successor, willingly enters into emotionally and socially complex conversations on the very same show with regularity. To hear Mr. T and to see him through the lens that I now have as a pastor and as a person with many years of therapy under my belt, a person who's committed to anti-racism, I can't help but see how, at least up until this point of his life in this interview, every major decision that Mr. T has made about his self-determination, his body, his name, his message, and his purpose, all of it has been shaped by the collective trauma of his people. And I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way. So I don't want you to hear that in that way. And then, but simultaneously, like the other side of the coin, right? Everything about David Letterman's response to him, the pivots, the jokes, the easy laughter, all of that is shaped by collective trauma as well. Mr. T, born and bred in Chicago's Robert Taylor Holmes, is determined to tell his truth, so determined that it practically oozes from him, right? And David Letterman, born and bred into a blissfully ignorant middle-class existence in Indianapolis, is so committed to denying space for the truth that Mr. T is trying to share. He's practically doing gymnastics around the emotional space of this interview. I encourage you to look it up and watch it. It's very interesting. It's fascinating and so educational. And so important for what our passage has to say to us today. When the Apostle Paul is talking about the pain and athleticism of our faith, for some Christians, it's tempting to think that this is think of this as purely in spiritual terms, right? That the practice of faithful living is only a personal or internal experience. But in Paul's time and in ours, following in the way of Jesus means taking on an intentional, conscious, and publicly countercultural way of being. For us, as Christians, that means moving toward the pain, just like Jesus always moved toward the pain of the people he encountered, instead of to, to endure the agon, right? To pursue that rather than trying to avoid it or pass it off. When Paul was establishing churches, you couldn't be a Christian without 
eventually rejecting some kind of public way of being that was normal in society, whether it was forms of meat or worship or social hierarchies and other ways that, that eventually betrayed your God as something other than Caesar. And nowadays, though, folks try to convince themselves that their religion can be private. But to follow Jesus means to publicly reject oppression and intentionally disrupt its values. It was and is painful to follow in the way of Jesus, not because of, of what it calls us to do publicly, but also then for what it requires from us uh, internally. Right? When Paul calls upon the community to throw off any extra baggage and get rid of the sin that trips us up, he's also telling us we need to deal with what's going on inside of us, too. That pain doesn't stay outside. It comes inside. Now, a couple of years, I learned something about, uh, about something called uh, the science of epigenetics. Are there folks who are familiar with epigenetics? I'm sure Katie knows. She's a scientist. Um, <laughs> um, so but it's, I can't get into it too much today, but basically epigenetics is the study of how our genes get turned on or off based on our external realities, what you eat, where you live, how, who you interact with, when you sleep, how you exercise, even aging. All of these can eventually cause chemical modifications that can turn certain genes on or off that just exist and maybe are sleeping within us, right? So for example, you might have a gene where it is likely for you to become more, uh, more likely for you to become diabetic, right? But if you take precautions, you can avoid sort of flipping the switch of that gene. And this is good for preventative healthcare, right? But there's an area of epigenetic research that has revealed something even more profound in the past few years, trauma. Among those generations and people groups that have experienced trauma of some kind, war, hunger, starvation, an epigenetic signature, what it's called, it shows up in your DNA. Now, it's not a permanent modification in your DNA, but it is something that can be carried forward into future generations. One study showed that descendants of a people group that had survived a major famine um, uh, had a normal, uh, higher than normal body mass index. In other words, because of that hunger trauma of their great grandparents or great grandparents, um, today the bodies of the grandchildren had been taught to hold on to more body mass in an event of another famine. You could call it evolution of a sort, right? Or you could call it a survival mechanism. A survival mechanism that, while once helpful, might in fact become harmful to us. More studies were held on descendants of Holocaust survivors and victims of poverty, and they all suggest that we inherit some trace of our parents' or even grandparents' experience, particularly their suffering. The effects of these traumas, of course, go beyond genetics. Many of us have seen this play out in our family systems one way or another, right? They seep into our mental and spiritual realms as well. In other words, though, we can... Uh, well, we ha and so we have, to, we have to do something to address this, otherwise we will pay that trauma forward. In other words, we can choose to transmit our pain, or we can transform it. But how? Well, Paul offers three ways forward. First, he suggests that we cultivate endurance, right? The endurance to do more than to survive to cultivate the endurance to thrive, actually, as Rachel mentioned in her testimony, right? To thrive and to finish the race that is ours. 
Secondly, we draw support from our ancestors in the faith. Now, some of us want to have nothing to do with our actual ancestors. Some of us carry a great deal of pain from family members who have left this world or who maybe even continue to live. So for those among us who identify with this, for whom that is a reality, um, I want you to understand that I'm talking about the family of faith. Right, The family that baby Carter was baptized into last Sunday. The family that baby Gabrielle will be baptized into next week. The great cloud of witnesses who have run this race before us, who have struggled to follow the life-giving teachings of Jesus in a death-dealing world, who understand the pain and possibility that is embedded in the race. This is who Paul is talking about. Finally, we fix our eyes on Jesus the one who showed us not only that it is possible to complete, complete the race, but also how to do it, right? By enduring the cross and ignoring the shame of others that others would try to use um, to lock us up and close us in. Now, some of us are like Mr. T, right? A man who endured the many and heavy, painful crosses of those who came before him and who, who made a choice to ignore the shame that came with it. He decided to transform his pain into purpose. But others of us might be more like David Letterman, right? Whose ancestral trauma looks something like willful and collective amnesia, who is called to uh, make the choice and effort to stop avoiding the pain, who needs to draw courage enough to face their fear of the pain, to enter it, be confronted by it, and then allow themselves to be transformed by it. Well, today is our last Sunday in our sermon series about the work of anti-racism at Urban Village. And for us, one of the key technologies for this work of transforming our trauma is to create spaces for courageous conversations through the practice of racial caucusing. Caucusing is an opportunity to disrupt the survival mechanisms that no longer serve us, right? The extra baggage and the sin that trips us up. It provides a space to recognize the ways that we are playing into these frameworks, to identify the ways that they constantly run, like background apps in our consciousness, driving our thinking, our behavior, and decision-making, whether we realize it or not. We caucus not only to become aware, but also then to strategize together, to talk about how can we begin to disrupt these cycles that are informed by trauma, that were survival mechanisms, but ultimately keep us from moving further into a life where we can thrive in ourselves and as a church, and to support each other in that process. So for people of color, it becomes, um, it's about often about becoming more aware of the ways that we participate in and uphold the race construct of white supremacy within ourselves as well as within one another. Because the reality is that too often, we can't have conversations that we need to have intraracially, right? Because people of color have been pitted against one another so effectively. Blacks against Latinx, against Asians, these different intersections around melanin, class, education, and respectability that white supremacy exploits in order to maintain its power. For white people, it's about learning to identify the ways that we participate and uphold white supremacy, even in spite of our best efforts to recognize and then strategize for a different way to live and move and be in relationship with one another. I am certain that David Letterman would never say that he was a racist, but so much about his behavior upheld this dynamic, right? And he needs to be in spaces where people can talk, with, with other white people, can strategize together. How can we begin to disrupt this, to do this differently together? This is what caucusing is about. 
And it feels big, right? Maybe impossible. And the impossible will take a little while. The race is long. But as we run it, as we endure, as we fix our eyes on the author and completer of our faith, what we will achieve is that we become less afraid of one another, less afraid of ourselves and our journey, less anxious about the pain and brokenness of the world that we live in. We will build a kind of spiritual muscle memory that we can then use to help transform our collective trauma. Each one of us has our part in this work. Each one of us has to pursue strategies for transforming the pain and trauma that has been passed forward to us within our own families, but also within our collective identity. Each one of us has our work to do, but none of us need to do it alone. As members of God's family, we receive the wisdom and advancements of those who came before us, that great cloud of witnesses. As followers of Jesus, we have access to an endurance and an encouragement to keep us in the race that surpasses all understanding. And as children of God, we have the assurance that the journey that we take and the transformations that we make will be passed forward, will be passed forward to, to onto those who will pick up where we leave off. And as we do this work, we will obtain the courage that we need to face ourselves and one another with honesty, with love, with compassion, and with truth. To move from spiritual captivity to collective liberation for the sake of a world that so deeply needs to be freed. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift of of the grace that you offer to us, but not only that, or maybe in addition to that, the endurance to live out that grace in circumstances that seem at times impossible. I ask God that you would help each one of us wherever we find ourselves within the the paradigm of um, our racial constructs, our gender constructs, our sexual orientations, and all the other things that would, um, would hold us back from living into our fullest selves. I ask God that you would grant us the courage to, to confront ourselves in the ways that we uphold the things that the very things that end up oppressing us, so that we might be not only liberated for ourselves, but then become liberators for others. Help us to do this not just in our own, but um, as a community here that is um, committed to our collective liberation, and as part of a larger body, a cloud of witnesses of saints who have come before us, of saints uh, that we will join um, and, and support uh, those who come after us that we might be encouraged and reminded that we do not do this alone and help us in the midst of it all to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the completer of our faith, the one who shows us not only that it is possible to run this race and finish it, but how to do it. We thank you for all of these tools, all of these resources that we have access to, and I pray, God, that you would help us to be transformed by them so that we can become agents of transformation in this world. We pray this. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.